Friends, hello humans, it's me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie Tubordo Radio on AM 950, talking to you from the bunker in Eden Prairie. How are you? Happy Saturday to you. Happy freezing, frigid Saturday in <laughs> Minnesota. Just, uh, don't even get me started. Well, welcome to another show of Ellie 2.0 Radio, where... Um, we talk about idealism and idealists, people working to make the world better. And we have a great show again, okay? The big interview um, is with uh, Kelsey Waits. It's a reprise of an interview that I did about a year ago. Kelsey Waits, who you may recall, uh, suffered great per- persecution when she ran for school board in Hastings, Minnesota in 2021. Um, all because she had a transgender child. They outed the transgender child in that campaign. You're going to hear, I'm gonna, we're going to play that interview of Kelsey again, and it has some meaning, which I'll tell you later on, uh, that's fitting with the theme of this show. Okay? And then um, in my C block, okay, uh, you're going to get uh, some other stuff fitting with the theme of this show. And what is the theme? The theme is around persecution and those who survive those who persevere. You see, yesterday, January 27th, was International Holocaust Remembrance Day, the day to commemorate the victims of the Holocaust. Now get this, listen carefully. One third of all Jewish people in the world, more than six million humans, were exterminated by the Germans from 1933 to 1945. January 27th is picked as the date uh, to commemorate the, the victims of the Holocaust because January 27th, 1945 was the date that the Red Army liberated the Auschwitz concentration camp and it was the first concentration camp liberation in World War II. Thus, here in my A block, I want to share about a memorial to the Holocaust, to the survivors of the Holocaust, a museum in all places, Terre Haute, Indiana. <laughs> the museum, museum is named CANDLES, uh, C-A-N-D-L-E-S, and the acronym stands for Children of Auschwitz Nazi Deadly Lab Experiments. Candles was founded in 1984 to 501c3 by Eva Mazes Kor and her twin sister, Miriam Mazes Zieger. Both Eva and Miriam were known as Mengele twins, who were the subject of horrible experimentation by that monster doctor, Joseph Mengele, at Auschwitz. After several years of fundraising, Eva Kaur opened the Candles Holocaust Museum and Education Center in Terre Haute with the mission of, quote, empowering the world through hope, healing, respect, and responsibility by shining a light on the story of the Holocaust. Eva Kaur, uh, the Mengele twins, and other survivors, unquote. Through the efforts of Eva and her sister, um, in, uh, they were able to locate 122 Mengele twins living in 10 countries and four continents. Now, the war ends. There's still a lot of twins that are at Auschwitz. They spread to the world. They go out in the world. And what Eva and her sister attempted to do was to find who they were. And they found uh, 122 sets of twins. 
to create fellowship and, and to help them share their stories. The Candles Center in Terre Haute features three Holocaust survivors, Eva Kaur, Walter Summers, and Mickey Kaur. Eva and Mickey are mar- uh, were married. Eva Kaur, the founder of Candles, uh, was and her sister were both born, they're twins, remember, were both born in Romania in 1934. By 1944, uh, uh, Eva and her sister were the only Jewish family and her parents and siblings were the only Jewish family in the village in uh, Romania. It was that year when Eva and Marion were 10 years old that the family was taken to Auschwitz. At the disembarkment point, so remember, the trains would pull into Auschwitz and then they would select who would go to forced labor and who would go to the, the, ch- the gas chambers. At the disembarkment point, Eva's father and two other sisters were taken away. She never saw them again. And shortly after that, they were taken away from their mother, um, whom they never saw again. And Eva and her twin sister were left for genetic experimentation by jo- Joseph Mengele. All told, Mengele experimented on 1,500 twins, 3,000 children. And Eva became extremely ill from the experimentation, but she survived, and in turn, she helped her sister Marion uh, survive. I'm not entirely certain of how Eva Kaur ended up in Terre Haute, Indiana, but I do know that in 2007, Eva succeeded in convincing the Indiana legislature to mandate that Holocaust education should be taught in Indiana schools. And of course, with America's history of anti-Semitism, with America's history of anti-Semitism, the Candles Holocaust Museum was firebombed in 2003. But the center reopened in 2005 and continues to exist. Eva Kaur died on July 4, 2019. And if you go to the Candles website, you'll see that she wrote about forgiveness for what she went through. Pretty extraordinary. I do know that a second survivor, Walter Summers, made it to Terry Haute. Um, and he did that after his family, which had owned a string of 38 stores in Germany, was forced to sell the stores by the Nazis. And after the night of broken glass, Kristallnacht, as you may remember, in November of 1938, uh, Walter's father was arrested only to be released six weeks later. And the family then sailed to America by boat. Walter eventually joined the Army Artillery Corps during World War II. And when his unit was being transported across the country by train, that train that Walter was on with his artillery pieces broke down in downtown Terre Haute. (laughs) And people came from, you know, all around in Terre Haute, and they brought donuts and coffee and chill and cheer and goodwill to the troops. And Walter, Walter was struck by the friendliness of the people in Terry Hot. And so the war ends, and eventually he makes his way to Terry Hot, Terry Hot, where he becomes vice president of, regional, of a regional department store chain. In the mid-1960s, um, Walter insisted that the fanciest restaurant in town in Terry Hot serve a black co-worker. At first, the restaurant refused because there was Jim Crow North as well as Jim Crow South. But Walter insisted. And from there on, I mean, the the restaurant agreed. And from there on, all of the restaurants in Terre Haute desegregated. Now, Walter died in February of 2022 at the age of 101. 
Um, actually, I know how Eva got to Terre Haute, and here's the story about the third survivor. I mean, there were three Holocaust survivors in Terre Haute, Indiana, okay? The third survivor is named Mickey, Mickey Kaur. He was born in Latvia. Um, when the Nazis invaded his family, invaded, not Latvia, his family was forced into a ghetto. And Mickey's father was murdered by the Nazi, the Nazis on the very day they went into the ghetto. Eventually, Mickey survived four years of forced labor in four different camps, concentration camps during the Holocaust. Once his camp was freed by U.S. soldiers, Mickey uh, um, became an interpreter for the U.S. Army. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel and he became friends, and that Lieutenant Colonel um, ended up sponsoring Mickey to move to the Lieutenant Colonel's hometown, which happened to be Terry Hot. There's actually a YouTube story on the Candles website about how the Lieutenant Colonel promised to help Mickey come to the U.S., and Mickey died in November of 2019. Now, all of the survivors, so all of the Holocaust survivors who lived in Terry Hot have now passed. All of these stories, are of course about survival against perilous odds. But they're also stories of hope and of wanting to change the world to prevent horrors like the Holocaust from ever occurring again. As Eva Kaur wrote after the 2003 firebombing of the center, quote, you may have destroyed some photos, but you didn't destroy our story. You may have destroyed some exhibits, but you didn't destroy our spirit. You may have destroyed a building, but you didn't destroy our community. Light prevails over darkness, and love will always conquer hate. Now, you're going to hear from Kelsey Waits, who I interviewed last year. And again... Her story made national news. CNN came and did a story after, as she was running for the school board in uh, the summer and fall of 2021 in Hastings, uh, her, she had a transgender child that she desperately tried to protect um, the identity of and the fact that the child was transgender. That was somebody on the other side of her in the campaign outed that child and it, it marginalized the family horribly. Not unlike, now, not to the same degree, but not unlike what Jewish people went through in the prelude to World War II and during World War II. So listen to Kelsey um, and, uh, and think about, here in America, what still happens. And then I'll talk to you on the other side of that interview. Thank you. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. Ellie Krug gets emotional. Ellie Krug, who feels for all living humans. Ellie Krug, who's trying to make the world better. Thanks. I want to take a breath that's true.
And we're back on LE 2.0 Radio, AM 950. So, check out Joe Madison if you haven't uh, done that before. Um, a true idealist. And now, for the big interview, I have another extraordinary true idealist. I have on the line with me, uh, Kelsey Waits. Kelsey, are you there? I am. Kelsey, thank you for being on LE 2.0 Radio. And... Let me just, if I can, quickly bring the audience up to date. I know many of the members of the audience will be familiar with your name and your story, but since this uh, podcast goes out across the world, I think that maybe we should do that. Kelsey, you are the mom of an eight-year-old uh, human who identifies, is it transgender or non-binary? That you're a kid? Non-binary. Non-binary. Yep. Okay, we want to make sure we have that right. And you're, um, you were um, formerly living in Hastings, Minnesota uh, with your husband and uh, your young eight-year-old human and uh, also another child. You were on the school board. You were the president of the school board in Hastings. You ran for re-election this past summer. And in the course of that election, a group of people who opposed uh, your continuation on the school board um, outed your your young human, your non-binary eight-year-old. They they outed the fact that you had that that child, and they outed the fact that the child was non-binary, and that created quite a controversy in Hastings. And I'm going to just summarize very quickly here, but your campaign, um, as a result, suffered, and you did not um, get reelected to the school board in Hastings. Do I have all of that right? Yep, that is all correct. And it was the, 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 the problem with all of that, of course, is that it raised safety concerns for you and your family, and eventually you had to move. I mean, literally, your family had to sell a house that you loved in Hastings and move away. Do I have that right? Yes. Um, that, was a really, that was a really difficult choice for us. Um, but I had already known where a number of people in our neighborhood stood on LGBTQ issues, given my role uh, in politics. And once we were outed, it just did not feel safe anymore. Okay. All right. Kelsey, I want to just say before we go any further, I feel so incredibly bad that this happened to you and your family. And, 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 and I, I'm just so sorry that it did. But I wanted to have you on the show because I wanted, I wanted people to understand something that happened this week between you and me. Um, and, and we were together at an event. And I wanted people to hear from you, Kelsey, about where you are right now and what you have taken away from that experience that I just laid out. And so please add to the story um, that I've, you know, that I've shared so far with the audience, add what you think that you need to for context, and tell us how is that sitting with you today in January of 2022? So I think, to be honest, I have good days and bad days with how it's sitting with me. Some mm -hmm. days are, are good, some days are, are not quite there. Um, it's been painful. It's been a painful number of months. Um, you know, my child was outed to a group of about 500 parents on Facebook, and they were 500 parents who had already been hostile towards me as chair of the school board, uh, given the masking decisions that 
schools were making this past summer. And so it was really not a safe group to be outed to. And even if it weren't a safe group, you know, this is something so private in an individual's life um, that it, it was always, it was Kit's story to share. It was our story to share. It was no one's business but ours. Um, and to have it weaponized in that way and to have Kit's identity politicized, um, it, was, it was a huge betrayal um, for me. And not just from the people who did it, but from the hundreds of people that were in that group and saw what was happening and chose to say nothing. Um, even though I did receive notes from a couple people privately saying they were disgusted, but they wouldn't put anything public. They wouldn't stand up. And that hurt just as much. And so, yeah, we had taken our story public because our story isn't unique. Um, we recognized that um, transgender people, LGBTQ people, they're outed frequently. Their identities are politicized frequently, and people need to be aware of the danger in doing that and the harm it causes. And so we chose to share our story so that others didn't have to. And and you did. I mean, your story showed up <clears throat> on CNN on a Sunday uh, morning and then went viral across the country to various uh, different news organizations and outlets. And I know that this is not the very, I mean, you've done multiple media interviews um, with, you know, a number of different sources. Tell, can I ask before we go any further, how is your eight-year-old human kit doing? How are they doing? They're adjusting. Um, it's, I mean, to be expected, our new house is not our old house. Right. Um, you know, in their old bedroom, I had hand-painted murals on the walls and it was just, it was filled with so much love and memories and it takes time to build that up in a house. Yep. And so um, I think that's the hardest part um, for Kit. Their friends have been supportive, which is fantastic. They were very afraid of that. Um, they cried and cried thinking their friends would no longer like them because they felt like they had been lying to their friends. And it was a tough conversation to have with an eight-year-old to say, you're not lying to your friends. They know you as Kit. You're Kit. How is that a lie? Um, mm. But they're conversations you have to have with an eight-year-old. So it was hard. But everyone is adjusting. And like myself, we have good days and bad. So, Right, right. And... and <clears throat> You know, and Kelsey, I'm just, again, so sorry about the experience. Let's, but let's talk a little bit about the city of Hastings, okay? You know, mm -hmm. Hastings, for those who don't know, located on the Mississippi River. It's about 35 miles south of the Twin Cities, south, uh, southwest. It's a town of what, about 20,000 people? Yep. A very nice, scenic town. Um, and it's a town that you know, I have spoken at before, I mean, um, and we'll get to in the next segment about how, what happened uh, this past week where you and I communicated with each other. But, you know, it, I mean, Hastings has always struck me as a town trying to do the right thing, trying to be open and trying to be diverse. But then there's backlash. There's, there's a, an element of reticence in the community. Do you, do you think I mischaracterized that at all? 
No, I think there is, but I think we also see a lot in Hastings that we see other places that they think making a statement is enough, um, that that's all the work that's needed, rather than recognizing the true work that needs to happen to make a community inclusive. And Hastings has a history of of issues um, generally around uh, racial um, discrimination and harassment and such. Um, But Hastings does have that history, and it's something that people don't want to look at and people don't want to talk about. And I think that does a lot of harm. Um, They would like to keep that idealized picture of themselves without looking deep in to how to fix it. And so I think there are leaders popping up that are wanting to do this work, but I do think that many of the leaders don't understand just how much work it's going to take. Right, right. Okay, well, Kelsey, we've got to take a break. And when we come back, I want to, I want to talk more about your experience in Hastings, but how it has shaped you, because it seems that it's really shaped you even more as an idealist than what you were previously. And, um, and talk about, uh, you know, what, how you and I interacted this week at an event where I, where I spoke. Okay, so okay. give us a break. We're going to take a break. Uh, audience members, we're listening, we're speaking with uh, Kelsey Waits, uh, the mother of an eight-year-old non-binary human who was outed during the course of Kelsey's uh, campaign for re-election to the Hastings School Board. When we come back, we'll speak more with Hastings. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on AM 950. LA 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Um, we're in the midst of the big interview with Kelsey Waits, uh, who um, had a very, very um, horrific experience um, when she was running la- uh, last year in Hastings for re-election to the school board when her eight-year-old non-binary young human um, was outed by community members. Kelsey, um, let's go to uh, what happened this week, okay? Now... Um, you know, uh, I, th- I think you know this about me. I, I, I am one of those people that w- when I see that things go on, I, I ask if I can help. And uh, so when your story broke with CNN, um, and frankly, I was not aware of the story. I was not aware of what was going on before the story in CNN. I reached out to um, the YMCA in Hastings, which has previously sponsored me because I was in Hastings two, uh, two years ago last, no, you know, in November, yep. um, in November of 2019, I, I went to Hastings to speak because there had been an incident about marginalizing of transgender people. And I went and spoke to 140 people to talk about what it meant to be transgender. And by the way, I thought that that was Actually, we had a lot of people that were from intolerant communities in the audience, and I thought that it went mm-hmm. extremely well. And so when your story broke, I went to back to my sponsor, um, the YMCA in Hastings, an organization called Thrive Hastings. Could I come and, and help again? And they, they were happy to have me come back. And so what uh, you and I did, and, another, and a number of other people, I had an event where I spoke on Wednesday night, 
um, uh, gave a talk called Bridging the Divide, Bridging uh, the Divide, uh, uh, Perspectives on Grit, Resiliency, and the Four Commonalities, where I talked about how we can get past our divisions. Kelsey, you were in the audience on the Zoom, and so were 109 other people. I mean, it was a big crowd. And um, let me ask you, what, 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 and you spoke early on in that, in that Zoom, and you were so incredibly eloquent. You were. Because you spoke about hope and grit. And Kelsey, I've got to just tell you, when you did that, you set the tonality for the rest of the 90 minutes that I gave that talk. Okay, I, I want you to know that. You set that tone. You were powerful in what you said. So, first question, what did you think of the event? Did, you, did, it, did it give you hope? Because I was amazed, I don't know about you, but I was amazed by the number of people who had transgender humans in their lives. They're on that Zoom. Yeah, I, you know, the thing that actually gave me the most hope is I went into the list of participants, and there were some names on there that I haven't seen at other events before and that I know have struggled uh, with understanding transgender individuals, uh, with wanting to support transgender individuals. And I saw their names on there, and they stayed the whole time. Wow. And for me, that spoke volumes, because I know they were there to learn. I reached out to one of them afterwards and actually said, please know that you can contact me if you ever have any questions because I know that this is something you've struggled with. And I'm here to talk oh. if you ever need someone. And for me, that was, and I know it's, it's because we told our story. And to see people that had never wanted to be engaged in this topic before beyond that Zoom on Wednesday gave me a lot of hope. Great. That is... <clears throat> That is the whole point, after all, of course, right? Let's mm -hmm. get people to a point where we can engage without running away and without attacking. And by the way, I mean, every, it, was, it was a very friendly, I mean, it was all respectful, everything that was said, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and I was very impressed by the level of engagement. But you talked about hope, okay? How did this happen? How did, how did hope for you, and I know that you say you have your good days and your bad days, but Kelsey, you understand. I mean, it's rather extraordinary that you have good days, given, given all that you went through, your family went through, poor Kit went through. How did hope show up? And I, this is so important for our audience right now to hear from you about that. Hope gets me out of bed in the morning. I feel like if I didn't have hope, I don't, I don't know where I would be right now. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what I would be doing. I have to hope. I have to believe that there's a better future. And it's, I think maybe it would be different if it was my own identity, but I feel like it's, it's for my child. I can't give up. This is their future. This is the future of transgender kids. And as I talked about on the meeting on Wednesday, you know, transgender students, almost 50% of them will attempt suicide. Yep. And that's five times greater than 
non-transgender students. And more and more research is showing by supporting these kids, you're saving them. You're, you're saving their lives. And whether that's supporting them at home or if their home isn't supportive, making sure the school yep. environment is supportive, making yep. sure the community is supportive, these kids need to be loved and they need to be loved for who they are, not not based on some societal construct. They just need to be yep. loved and they need to know that they're loved and supported. And I maintain hope because these kids need me to keep hoping, to keep believing that there's something bigger and better because that hope is what moves me to actually try to bring that to life. The belief that it could be better is why we work for it to be better. Right. Kelsey, do you, do you agree with me that there are far more trans and non-binary humans in the world than anybody realizes? Oh, yes. And I think what we're seeing is that, you know, with the rise of the Internet, with increased visibility, people are able to see that so much earlier than they used to, to understand it, yep. to build connections, to survive past puberty, <laughs> so that I, I can't even imagine, you know, we know the statistics now for suicide rates. I can't even imagine what it was before, you know, we started um, this increased visibility and support and really raising awareness. It breaks my heart, and I have to believe that we're making it better. So, uh, two other questions, okay? And by the way, I could talk with you for like two hours. I just want you to know that, <laughs> all right? Um, okay. and, and we will have chats off air. Um, but first question is, um, I saw today on Twitter that you had posted about... Um, pausing uh, your PhD studies because mm -hmm. you need to engage in activism. And so tell me, tell me more about that, if you would. What, what kind of activism are you speaking about, and, and uh, how, far, how close were you to getting uh, your uh, PhD? <laughs> uh, this was going to be my last semester of classes, oh. and then it was going to be you know, working on dissertation, so who knows how long that would have taken um, but I guess all of these events have really just had me questioning what I was going to study in school, where do I want to focus, and so I need that time anyway for myself. But I, I always knew that there was activism, that I was an activist, and that I would want to be doing this work. And the last couple months have just shown me that my time is now. This is, yep. this is when I can do this work. Um, I don't need to wait until I'm done with my degree. My kid needs me to do this now. Other kids need me to do this now. And that's more important than finishing a degree is working to make this world better. Um, so the PhD will wait, or maybe it won't. Maybe I won't go back. Who knows? Um, but what I know is I'm called for something more right now. <laughs> wow. Okay, so... Sec the second question, and my audience members n always know that this is the last question I ask, or at least close to the last, and that is this, Kelsey. What made you an idealist? Now, you were idealistic before this, and maybe, I'm, you, know, maybe you don't agree with that, but I mean, you ran for the school board um, 
and were you, you were homeschooling your children. Do I have that right? Yeah, Kit wasn't old enough for school, so I was homeschooling my oldest child when okay. I first ran. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But so you went and you decided you were going to get involved with the community. You were going to get on the school board. Mm-hmm. You know what? What? Ha- what made you an idealist in the first place? What happened in your life growing up, or, or what, to make you want to make the world a better place? You know, my dad will tell you that I've always been this way. Um, you know, I talked to, at the age of 12 about wanting to go to an East Coast school and maybe become president one day and just help everyone. And I think, you know, we grew up in a very income insecure home. My mom was a single mom by the time I was a teenager and she has MS. And so there were a lot of times where she would be hospitalized. And so we'd have hospital bills, but no income coming in. And we received a lot of help. Uh, you know, we had community members come and fix our roof. We had the church bought us groceries. And in fact, my mom had a garage sale and sold some of her favorite belongings to buy me the plane ticket to go to college. Yeah. And so for my whole life, there's been helpers. And the recognition that we don't get anywhere on our own, whether those helpers are visible or invisible, they're there. And there's a support, and I knew then I wanted to support. And my mom asked me when I went for college, she said, Kelsey, just promise me that one day you'll pay it forward. Everything that helped us, everyone who helped us, just promise you'll pay it forward. And that's stuck with me. Um, and so that's, that's been my goal. Well, Kelsey, I just want you to know, all right, there is so much paying forward that you've already done. But I, you know, I don't know, if, you know, I barely know you, but I am very confident you will be doing far more paying forward in the years to come. I, I feel it in my bones. And I just want you to know, I mean, I'm, you know, however I can ever help you, okay? You know, um, I'm here for you, all right? And I just want you to know, all right, there are so many people that care about you and your family. So many people that just, you know, and you're right, they're afraid to speak up, they're afraid to do things. But remember, I do believe that 98% of all humans have good empathetic (laughs) hearts. I really do. You know, my audience, by the way, has heard me say that frequently. Um, and, yes. they, and they know the other part, about 2% sociopath. But, but listen, um, just hang in there, okay? And just keep doing and go do what it is that you're doing. All right? I will. Okay. I wish you the best. I wish your family the best. And let Kit know that I said hello, okay? <laughs> I will. Thank you so much for having me on the show today and for just having a conversation. Kelsey. You are wonderful. No. Oh. <laughs> You're very welcome, Kelsey. Thank you so very much. Okay, listeners, uh, that was Kelsey Waits. uh, And I trust that that will be an interview you will not easily forget. When we come back, we're going to do the C block. I'm going to talk about some things. And and then that'll be it. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Ellie Krug. We'll be back in a sec.
Ellie 2.0 Radio. I hope you, I hope that interview with Kelsey was enlightening. Now, Kelsey penned a piece that st- showed up in the Minneapolis Star Tribune on Monday, January 23rd. The piece is entitled "The Other Refugee Crisis: Colon The Flight of Families with Transgender Kids." So, Kelsey has become somebody trying to change the world out of out of grief, out of horror. Okay. Um, go go read that piece, and then do me a favor and read the comments to the piece in the Star Tribune on January 23rd. Read the comments and see how transphobia, live and well and kicking, Minnesota. Okay, C-Block, I want to talk, I don't have much time, about two instances where I met Holocaust survivors. Now, you may know, I mean, I practice law in Boston, um, for five years. And I will never forget there was a day, I, I can't tell you what the year was, but I was going somewhere. I was in a suit. I would, this back when I presented as a man. And I got on an elevator with a woman. I'm an older, elderly woman. I would guess at that time she was in her 70s. And I remember she pushed the button to the elevator. She was wearing a dress. Um, and she pushed the button to where the elevator. And I saw, I saw her do that. And on the inside of her inner arm was a tattooed number. What, and I imagined what she carried. Second story. When I was in law school, going to Boston College Law School, again, when I presented as a man, young man at that time. I went to a barber shop in um, Newton Center, Massachusetts, right outside of where the law school was, not very far from it. But bar shop run by two older men, German accents. One of them was uh, named Isaac. I don't remember the other man. I don't think they were related, but they were friends. They were kind of crabbed at each other <laughs> regularly. But Isaac was my barber, and I had been going with, to him for God, I started law school. I started with him and followed with him through the three years of law school. And there was one day where I was asking Isaac about, you know, about his background a little bit. And he told me this story, incredible story, that during World War... Isaac was Jewish. He told me this story that during, he, during World War II, he had worked on the railroad. He had had worked on the railroad as a guy, you know, changing out railroad tracks and, and, and timbers and all of that stuff, you know, making sure that the track was straight and all that. Um, remember, I was a railroad lawyer. I know about that stuff. And um, he told me that before the war, he had been working for the railroad and that um, nobody knew that he was Jewish. And that throughout the entire war, he hid his, you know, religion. And never, I mean, in, in fear, okay, of being discovered, but, you know, worked with the same guys and, you know, apparently got totally under the radar. I've got to believe that there were many, many Jewish people that were able to get under the radar um, that way. And he, and, and so he, you know, he got through the war, um, you know, un- relatively unscathed to the extent that you can say that. Um, and then he told me <laughs> that after the, after the war was over, after the, you know, the Allied 
forces were in Germany in control. He told me that he shared with these guys that he had worked with regularly. Okay, I mean, for years he had worked with them, foreign friendships, all of that stuff. He told me that he had shared with them. Now, what he was safe at this point. He shared with his work colleagues that he was Jewish, actually Jewish. And do you know what he said to me? He said one of those colleagues looked him straight in the eyes and said, had I known, I would have turned you in. Think about that. What humans are capable of doing when we get we against them. How ferocious the hatred can become. The othering to the point of exterminating millions of people. This is why I do my work. I'm just a little person in a little cog, in a big, big, big machine. But everyone, this is why I do my work and why I will continue to do my work around inclusivity, around compassion and kindness for all humans, around apology and forgiveness. This is why I will do that work until I take my last breath. Remember today, Holocaust Memorial Day, International Holocaust Memorial Day. Remember it. If you know someone who is Jewish, reach out to them today. Tell them that you are thinking of them. Tell them that you care about them. Tell them that you love them. Please. Okay, a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson, who's had to watch me get teary-eyed. Sorry, Brett. And uh, big thanks to you, my audience, my listeners. Now, listen, uh, next week, I'm, I'm gone. I've got to go to New Orleans. I've got to go get an, an award, believe it or not. But I'll talk to you the week after that, okay? And in the meantime, between now and when you, we talk again, will you go and do something good, make the world better, be kind to a human, take a risk, but do something to make the world better. Will you do that for me, please? Okay? All right. I'll talk to you, talk to you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Be well. Stay warm if you're in Minnesota. Bye-bye.